Congratulations, Finland. You are the 2019 World Junior Championships. You're listening to Dobber Prospects Radio. I'm your host, Peter Herling. This is a little special edition episode for you. I'll be doing a regular episode, uh, hopefully in the next couple of days. But uh, I wanted to get this up as quickly as possible with the World Juniors in the rearview mirror now uh, before it gets too dated. Uh, I had a really nice conversation interview with this week's guest, Stephen Ellis, and it turned out to be a rather lengthy conversation. It's kind of a record-breaking interview for the DPR show. It runs over an hour. So I thought I'd save all my other regular content for uh, a follow-up episode. So we'll make this one the post-2019 World Junior Special Edition, starring myself and my guest, Stephen Ellis. So here we go. Have a listen. Enjoy. All right. So now I'm talking to Stephen Ellis, who covered the World Juniors rather exclusively and was an avid tweeter during the tournament. I I really enjoyed reading your tweets. Uh, So welcome to the podcast, Steve. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. All right. For those of you who want to follow Stephen's tweets, you can catch him on Twitter at Stephen Ellis, NHL. And Stephen, you do some uh, freelance hockey writing. Uh, you started the World Hockey Magazine. Tell me real quick about uh, about what that's like and where we can find some of your stuff, man. Uh, yeah, so I uh, there's a link in my Twitter bio for my Etsy page where I post all my World Hockey Magazine issues every month. And basically, it's just kind of a, a deep look into the world of hockey. And we published a, a 100-page um, issue recently for the World Juniors. But we also talked about the Spangler Cup. Uh, the Women's World Under-18 tournament, uh, and a couple of other more obscure under-20 tournaments. And we kind of just want to put a, a focus on a lot of what's what the world hockey game is doing. Like we had interviews with guys from Macedonia, Hong Kong, India. We got one coming from Pakistan and Kenya soon. So it's just kind of a deep look into what's going on outside of the NHL, essentially. Interesting. So really a, a worldwide coverage. Yeah, exactly. Like we don't, we didn't want to, we, we, there's so much fun stuff going on in international hockey. Like I've watched more team Bosnia games at three o'clock in the morning than I, I would like to admit, but, uh, uh, you know, it's just, uh, there's so much more going on when you open your mind outside of the, uh, the hockey from your own area. If you look everywhere, it's, it's growing and it's a very fun thing to follow. Cool. Yeah. I look at the, uh, the analytics for this podcast on, on Podbean and, uh, man, I, you know, the listening listenership is obviously humongous in Canada, and then second is United States, and everything else is a distant third. But there's some countries out there that I'm like, who in the world is listening to my fantasy hockey prospect podcast <laughs> in like Botswana and places like that? It's uh, it's really surprising to to think that uh, this podcast and my voice is being played around the world. Um, but there you have it. You know, there's there's hockey fans in every little nook and crevice of the planet. Yeah, I played on a ball hockey team once, and we it was in a, a CBC tournament. We called ourselves the Zimbabwe Pancakes, just a funny name. And anyways, we as a joke, we messaged the Zimbabwe government on Facebook, and they thought it was so cool and started updating people on their Facebook page with all our hockey games. And uh, yeah, it was just a weird, weird tournament. But yeah, we, we were Zimbabwe, and turns out there were people that were interested in Zimbabwe, and they actually have played some ball hockey games out there themselves. There you go. Um, Yeah, it's definitely the world's game for sure. And um, just to kind of segue back on point, World Juniors just wrapped up. We talked a little bit about that uh, on our last couple episodes. And uh, I thought I'd bring you on to kind of go over a few players from each team because there was a number of players in this tournament that obviously uh, 
uh, were noteworthy. I had noteworthy performances, mostly positive, but a few kind of kind of hit the expectation mark. So uh, if you're ready for it, let's uh, let's go through a couple teams and talk some World Junior. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. So um, let's do it group by group, not really in any super specific order. I guess we'll start with uh, with the obvious one and, and Canada. And they finished a little bit short of where they wanted to be. They, they failed to medal on home soil. Got to be disappointing. Um, looking over their roster, I think it pretty much panned out exactly how most people expected it to pan out. Uh, a couple of the players that I was really interested in watching, one in particular was free agent Brett Leeson. He's a player that uh, Bob McKenzie on his podcast was talking about being a potential Drake Batherson type player using this tournament as his coming out party. Played five games, had five points, three goals, two assists. Uh, How did you see his his game? Did McKenzie kind of nail it? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Like I actually had never really seen Brett Leeson. I didn't know much about him heading into the tournament, and you know that's a guy that I think did every single thing right. You know, he's playing on a really strong um, uh, Prince Albert team, but he's the one generating a lot of the offense for a team that has guys like uh, Cole Fonstad and they got uh, Ian Scott and that. That's a really strong team. But again, he's the one who's kind of taking over everything. He's the one who's providing a lot of the offense, and he he had five points in this tournament. I thought he was really good. You know, he he had a couple of goals against Denmark, which yes against Denmark but at the same time he was one of the guys who was always consistently uh, putting pucks on net you always like he he wasn't costing your team anything and he wasn't making mistakes and I thought that was a guy that you know you're you're gonna see him drafted pretty early in the NHL draft and um, the fact that he's actually older than a lot of the players means you know you could actually throw him in a little earlier than some of these other prospects but uh, I think you know that's a guy who's got such great playmaking skills and his offense has improved a lot this year uh, with Prince Albert and uh, I'm really excited to see what his uh, where he ends up getting drafted. You make a really good point about his age, and that's something that I think it really resonates with, um, or it should resonate with fantasy hockey as well. You got a player who's a, a year or two older going into a draft, and a player like Leeson who's a year older. It means you got to wait one less year to find out what kind of commodity you have. So if you draft him in your fantasy draft prospects draft this this summer, um, he'll turn pro sooner than than the guys who are first-time draft eligible. So you don't have to bury him on your minors bench for quite as long and, and burn up a roster spot on him. You'll know sooner than that that, you know, if he keeps trending in the right direction, he's going to make your team and be an impact player. And, you know, maybe if he's just captured lightning in a bottle this one year and, and kind of capped out and turns pro and, and kind of flounders is playing pro, then, then you don't have to, you know, you don't have to waste three years on him. Um, another player on Team Canada, uh, Maxime Comtois, the captain, had a very interesting tournament, took a lot of criticism for some of his um, diving antics and, and whatnot. But uh, hey, man, five games, six points. Anaheim Ducks prospect started the year uh, in the NHL and then was reassigned to junior. Um, I thought he had a strong a strong tournament and, and really made a really made a play to in, in improve his value, which is already high. How'd you see yeah. it? Yeah, he's a guy that, you know, like a lot of people criticized his inclusion of the team last year, but it just seems like every time he plays for Team Canada, he just he goes to a totally other level. We saw him with Canada's under-18 team a couple years ago, and he was by far the best player on the team, and he's a guy that obviously could shoot very well, brings a lot of physical play to his game, and, you know, you could, you, you could put him in as a Brad Marchand type player, and be very effective. And yes, he does obviously 
there, there was a concern of him diving as much as he did, but at the same time, he did draw a lot of penalties out of it, and that kind of worked in their favor. And um, the that could have actually been a lot worse in their game against Switzerland early in the tournament, where he did draw a penalty off of uh, Kuroshev right off, or late in the game, and that was when Switzerland looked like the better team. And all of a sudden, that took Switzerland kind of out of contention to 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 basically score there. That put them down late in the game. But you know, like his points are kind of misleading the fact yeah he had six points and five goals but four of them were in one game against Denmark but it seemed like even in the games where Canada wasn't scoring as much um he was still one of the better players and you know what there will always be the the question of why did he take that penalty shot you know what again the way I look at it he scored no one's talking about his mistake there or mistakes early in the tournament. Everyone's talking about how he was the savior for that team. So, you know what? He, he's still one of the best shooters on the team and he's still one of the best players, you know, he dominated the pre-tournament. He and Cody Glass were a blast to watch. He brought so much to that team. And, you know, again, if, if he wasn't taken in that, if he wasn't assigned to that penalty shot, people aren't talking about as much as him, talking about him as much as they are today or right after the tournament. And we're not seeing death threats on his Instagram page. So it's, it is what it is, but I'm very impressed with him. I like, there's a lot to like out of him. Yeah. For anyone who's, who's not sure what the, the controversy about the shootout was, it turns out that he was playing with an injured shoulder. And so they had the, the penalty shot and they, they selected him to shoot. And uh, of course he wasn't unable to score. Uh, so the controversy is, should they have picked him? And if he was keeping the injury to himself, should he have done that? And, you know, there's a lot of great options to pick for players to shoot on that roster. Um, hey, hindsight's 2020, right? If he scored, to your point, no one's talking about it. Speaking of hindsight being 2020, um, the previous episode when we went over Canada's roster, I brought up the name Nick Merkley as a player that was an omission from even being invited to the selection camp. And that was surprising to me because um, Nick Merkley is an elite prospect. Uh, He's got the talent to command him have been a top five pick in the draft in Chicago, or sorry, Dallas. Uh, But because of some maturity or off-ice issues, whatever you want to call them, he slid down a little bit and still went in the first round, but wasn't even invited to Team Canada. He's a dynamic offensive defenseman. And the point I made on the episode previously was that, well, you know, Canada's got some pretty good offensive defensemen in the likes of Dobson and Smith and Bouchard, and they don't really need him. But in that last game, when they were down a goal, and you look at their scoring for the roster, and not a lot of offense came from guys like Noah Dobson, do you think they missed him? You know what, I... I've been on the record and saying in the past that I think Ryan Merkley was the best player I'd ever seen in minor midget hockey. And I I watch a lot of the the GTHL and the OHL Cup, like the leading up to that. And I've never seen a player play as dominant as he was. He could just turn a game around no matter what, because his Toronto Junior Canes team was good, but he was the driving force behind that team. So I've been a fan of his game for years. You know what? Uh, Again, I also don't think like when you look at the guys like Ty Smith and you look at the guys like Evan Bouchard and Noah Dobson, those are three guys that are young that I can, that's that obviously have a lot of skill and they, they, they kind of play a very similar game, specifically uh, Noah Dobson, Ty Smith. They play very similar to what Reimer Klee is in terms of a really good two way defenseman. But you know, he's also shown in the past, he could be a very big defensive liability. And I thought, you know, at moments, 
he wasn't that great at the under 18s a few months ago in April. And uh, like right now, he's playing fantastic. He just got traded to the Peter Rowe Peach, and he's almost a point per game player. And we know he could uh, generate a lot of offense. But this is a guy that, you know, next year will come in as one of the best defensemen. But um, I, kind of the example I use is if you look back at the 2014 Olympics and PK Subban coming off a Norris trophy wasn't used that much. But he was kind of, you know, liable in his own zone at points. He still hadn't really refined that part of his game. But he and Drew Doughty play a very similar game. Just the Drew Doughty factor, he's a lot more of a a well-rounded defenseman. And that's the thing with Merkley. He's not fully rounded. Like he still makes a lot of mistakes in his own zone. He tries to get too fancy. And when you've got a guy like Ty Smith, who's just a bit better in, in or who's just good at everything, that's just a safer pick. So, you know what? Uh, I, I, I didn't have any problem with the players that Team Canada didn't bring. So when you look at that, you know, I don't, he definitely would have been a good asset to the team, but did they need him or did they make the right decision? I don't know. At this point, I, I still think that it was, be, it was okay that they left him home because in theory, like Ty Smith played very good and Noah Dobson had some good moments. Bouchard, I would have liked to see a bit better tournament out of him, but overall, you know, like, I don't know how much he would have really improved the team is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, Peterborough just played Kingston on, on this past weekend and there was a play where the France dumped it in to the Peterborough zone and Merkley was the first defenseman back to get it and he he wasn't beat to the corner by the Frontenac's forechecking forward he let him by he almost got out of his way to let him go uh and that was pretty unacceptable uh so if you make plays like that if you know you, you give up deliberately lose puck battles to lose pucks then uh, that's the kind of stuff that gets you off of the even invitation list to Team Canada, no matter how good you are offensively. If you do things like that, I don't think you got a spot on the team. All right, so let's let's got a lot of lot of players and a lot of teams to cover here in this tournament. So let's uh, we talked about Canadian players all the time. I think most of our listeners, as I said, are mostly from Canada, so I think there's not a lot of surprises on Canada's roster. So let's uh, let's let's look around the rest of the world. And talk about there's a bunch of players off Russia that I thought were really interesting and fun to watch, and a lot of storylines around some of these players too. Um, I guess we have to start with Grigory Denisenko, nine points, seven games, led the tournament in scoring. Florida Panthers prospect uh, that snipe he had against um, which team was it? I think it was Switzerland, maybe or Canada. Yeah. Anyhow, whoa, right on the top under the. Under the bar, over the shoulder, perfect shot. Didn't see it coming. Quick, quick release. Um, the guy's got tremendous skills. Uh, what do you think the the ETA is for him to make a bid for the Florida Panthers roster? That's a thing. It's kind of like at, at points in the term early, he was just like, okay, you know, he's playing well, but like not kind of like dominating. And it was just when the tournament got really important, that's where he became one of the best players by far. And, you know, of course, obviously going out there and leading the tournament, scoring with time with Alexi Heppelniemi, it's a pretty big deal. But that's a guy who just, when it mattered most, that's when he was the best. And that's really exciting. You know, he only has three goals in the KHL this year. So he's a guy that, you would like to see a lot more out of him. And I think uh, it was uh, Dar- um, Ray Ferraro who said it's like, you, you watch him and you're just like, he's such a good player, but why can't he do this all the time? Why can't he be the most consistent player every game? And uh, again, like I think this is a guy that two years from now, a very safe bet to be a second liner in the NHL. He's got a lot of skill, a lot of great offense, and uh, he just needs to be more consistent. He's got to be the best player all the time before he makes the jump to the NHL. Yeah, they say being in the World Juniors can't hurt your stock 
but it certainly can help. And I think it's safe to say that there aren't too many players whose stock was uh, helped more than Denisenko. Uh, maybe on his own team, a couple of players, and we're going to talk about them right now. Alexei Romanov, the defenseman uh, draft pick from the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he had uh, seven assists and a goal for eight points in seven games in the tournament. He's got a heavy, heavy shot. And I thought his defensive game was every bit as impressive as his offensive game. He's a physical player. There's a lot to like about uh, Alex Romanov, yeah? Yeah, the, the, I kind of leading into the tournament, I was not impressed with Russia's defensive core. And I sound like a broken record because that seems to be the case at every tournament they ever play at. But, uh, you know, Romanov was just fantastic. He was by far, I think, one of the best defensemen in this tournament. And offensively, again, gets eight points, but he threw some big hits. He wasn't afraid of going after anyone. I remember the one hit against uh, Matej Pekash on uh, the Czech Republic. That's a huge guy that he just went after, just knocked him down, no issue. And uh, the fact that Romanov just could do everything well um, is really exciting, you know, for Montreal Canadiens fans. That's a guy that... Um, almost reminds a lot of people of Andre Markov, which is very interesting because Romanov in the past has said that Markov's one of his favorite players of all time. And uh, the fact that, yeah, he, he brings so much offense, he could run the power play. He didn't take a single penalty despite being a physical player. He's a smart kid and I really like him. So he's a guy, again, I think is kind of like two years away, but um, a really safe bet, especially since Montreal has traded away a few of their better defensive prospects in the last few years. And um, I would just imagine what happened if Sergachev, Subban, and Romanov were the three big guys for uh, Montreal Canadiens. But of course, that's not the case. But no, he's going to be a top-line pairing defenseman in the NHL very soon, I think. Yeah, Markov's a good comparison. I was always more a fan of Daniel Markov than Andre Markov, but <laughs> there you go. There's a name for the past for everyone to look up. Uh, so the other player I thought had a really, really great uh, tournament for himself and really made a name and I think is a shoe-in to find his way to an NHL roster if he wants after this tournament is Krill Schleppitz. Uh, the NHL is all about speed right now, and this guy's got it to burn. He reminds me a little bit of Andre Athanasiu. He had seven points in seven games, five goals, two assists. He had a number of breakaways. Uh, he went to the five hole pretty much every time, and I think he cashed on every chance he had. I, I really, really like watching this kid play. He's he's super fun, and he's a player that I would love to own in fantasy hockey. Um, he's playing in the KHL right now, yeah? Yep, yep, and he's a guy that, you know, I, I watched him play because he actually has played 15 games now for Russia this season. And he has nine points for the under-20 team. But seven of them came at this tournament. So he only had two goals in the other, um, I believe, eight games before uh, he had it, he went to this tournament. So, you know, this is a guy that can be kind of inconsistent at points. And when you look at it, it's like he's a very talented player. But that was almost his coming out party because he obviously didn't make the team last year. He had a good under-18 tournament uh, two years ago. This is a guy that's pretty much purely about offense because, you know, he's actually played at three different levels this year, KHL, VHL, and MA. NHL and it's kind of had no success at any of those levels so this was like the big thing for him a lot of confidence but at the same time when he played Vyaroslav in the KHL he, he actually had a couple games where he was playing a more prominent role and, and this is a guy that I, I wasn't sure what to expect out of him but when he's playing well he's really tough to beat he's a pure goal scorer and I think he showed enough speed and enough of his shot and enough of his skill that he could be I wouldn't be shocked if he's an NHLer next season. And in terms of all the players on the team, he may be the most 
like NHL safe, ready to go player, which is funny because he wasn't drafted, but he brought a, again, scored a lot of goals. He scored a lot in his career at different levels. And when you, I think that confidence is what you need for him to go to back to the KHL, assuming that's where he will return as opposed to the VHL. And, and he could go out there and score a lot of goals and all of a sudden be a difference maker. So I think that was a really good confidence booster. And I don't think there's any way he doesn't get drafted. Do you have any idea what his KHL contract status is? Because that's the real, the real challenge, right? Because they have no transfer agreement. Yeah, that's the part that really no one really knows. But um, it's it's a tough situation. I think that if he if he wants to come over, he's good enough. He could do it. So yeah. uh, unfortunately, it's. KHL contracts are about as confusing as it gets. So uh, I can't give you a good answer on that one, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm still trying to find a reliable source online to find KHL contract information. They need a KHL cap friendly. Okay, <laughs> um, so let's move on. Uh, we can't not talk about Clem Costin, right? Uh, he kind of made himself a bit of a spectacle there. Captain of Team Russia, pulled a bit of Elias Anderson after uh, losing out uh, and being relegated to the, the bronze medal game. Um, he did a little bit of diving, a little bit of yapping in from the penalty box as well. Uh, put all that stuff aside. I mean, okay, so let's let's talk about that actually. Like, some people gave him a really hard time. And he had his apology, and then the next game he comes out and he does a little bit more of the same stuff. And people are giving a hard time about it. Um, he's 19 years old, and and when I was 19 years old, I did a lot worse stuff than that under a lot less pressure. <laughs> Uh, I, I think people really need to to give these kids give them a break, man. Like, was it an immature thing to do? Yes, absolutely. Will he regret it later on? I'm no doubt. I'm sure he will. Um, but I mean, what's what's the real problem here, right? Like, he took a loss hard, and he's it meant a lot to him. I, I, I frankly, I don't really have a problem with it at all. Yeah, neither do I actually, because uh, I was posting like highlight clips throughout the tournament, and I actually got someone telling me I should go die because I posted a clip of him clapping in the penalty box, which that clapping thing was hilarious. I thought that was great. Like he he had a couple of really funny moments in the tournament, and, and you know what? Like I love the the fact that he is willing to show the emotion on a major stage like that. Like when you look at other sports, emotion is like it's exciting like uh, i'm a big nascar fan and you should see the way these guys celebrate when they win even the guys who've won seven races in a year celebrate like it's the first time they've ever won it's really exciting to see that i don't like the fact that players are kind of held back like you see it on canada some kind of as the tournament went on the players kind of started to dial down after players scored like their first goal for team canada etc etc but like uh, that's why I like the under 17 tournament. Every time someone scores, they're over at the other team's bench pointing and laughing or doing some funny, cool um, celebration. So I like that Costin was willing to show that emotion. And, you know, he, he had a great tournament. He had set six points in seven games, and he's uh, he's playing well in the AHL. People are saying, like, oh, he's way too immature. Uh, one person even said that he shouldn't be playing in the AHL and he should go to, to back junior hockey. But the fact of the matter is this kid's a great talent. He's going to be fantastic for St. Louis. And uh, you know, the, the crowd's going against him and yes, he does have experience playing against pro players. So he, he should be able to handle the booing. And at points, you know, there were, he could have handled a bit better, but at the same time, I have no issue for players showing emotion. These guys are still, teenagers like it's it's crazy to think that that's what's the case but in reality again they're still young why not this is a lot more pressure than they've ever played for at any point in their careers 
I agree. I don't think he should dial it down at all. In fact, I think he should turn it up. Um, he's the kind of player that if he's not on the team I cheer for, I love to hate him. You know, I think the NHL needs more villains, quite yep. frankly. Uh, and I think Clem Costin could, could play the role of the heel real, real well. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about one more guy from Russia, though. Um, and I, I still can't pronounce this player's name right. I, I want to say his first name is Peter, because that's my name, but it's, he spells it way wrong. Peter Kochkov. The goalie was just lights out good. Uh, first got a look of him in the Super Series, CIBC, Subway, whatever they're calling it these days. The Canada-Russia Super Series is a preliminary to the World Junior. He was great there. He kind of stole the net a little bit from Daniel Tarasov. He totally stole the net from Tarasov at the World Juniors here. His numbers are fantastic. 145 goals against average, 953 save percentage. I thought he was lights out good, and uh, I think he got some tournament MVP or goalie MVP nods for the tournament as well from either writers or bloggers or tournament officials. Um, he's another player that's uh, not owned. He's a free agent, and he'll be going into the draft this year as a 19-year-old. Um, what do you think of his game? Again, you, you, I think you said it best. Like This is a guy who played out of his mind, and that was another question for Russia. We, there was no clear number one goalie going in, and even in the pre-tournament, I don't think either goalie kind of really showed what they were capable of. And uh, Kochikov definitely was fantastic. You know, he played well in the Super Series. His numbers were great. Um, he's playing really well in the VHL. His first game, the, the KHL with Sochi wasn't so great. Um, but yeah, this is a guy that, you know, it was a kind of a relative unknown. When you look in the fact that Russia... Like outside, like at the under seventeen and under sixteen level, they got a couple of really goalies. But this was like a rough year for the team in terms of the goalie prospects just weren't as good as like they have been in the past. And you know, sure, Russia hasn't had a amazing track record over the last decade of producing goalies. Obviously, they have Vasilevsky, and they've got another goalie um, who's um, a really good guy from the under seventeen tournament. But um, when you look at it, it's like yeah, he. You didn't know what to expect out of him, but he's a big guy. He played fantastic. He's very athletic, got a great glove hand. Uh, we saw what everyone believed was like save of the like the, one of the best saves of world junior history uh, when he dives back and it looked like his back or the back of the skate kicked the puck out of the, the air, but turns out post. it just hit the post. Yeah, that just blew my mind. I was very disappointing, but I disappointed when I saw you <laughs> at the post. But uh yeah, yeah like he, he he's a very athletic guy and I think there's gonna be a lot to really get excited about in the future because I'm I'm very convinced he's gonna be drafted. Yeah, you know, the World Juniors is, is and goalies particularly are are funny like that. Uh Vehi Vehalainen is a player that, that I enjoyed watching at the World Juniors year after year. He played for yes. Finland a couple of years and he never got drafted until just finally this this last draft he was finally picked and I was like Gosh, it's about time. Like, doesn't anybody watch the World Juniors? What's going on? Um, yeah, he, but he's a guy that he's a guy that I, I'm shocked wasn't drafted in his first year of eligibility. He had right? uh, when he played the Americans under 18s in his first year of the eligibility. That was the best performance I've seen, I think, ever out of a goalie in their draft year, and not picked. Like, shockingly. So, uh, Columbus does a really good job of drafting the European goalies. Well. Wonder if they were watching this guy because I like him. We'll see. Uh, let's move on from Russia. Let's go to uh, Switzerland. So not a lot of household names on the Swiss roster last year or the year before that. Whatever they had, uh, Nico Heischer. So that was kind of nice. Uh, this year, their their top player was Philip Kurashev. 
He's a Chicago Blackhawks draft pick. Got a point a game in the tournament, six goals. I thought he had a really great tournament. He's their go-to player, so the other teams were force, or focusing their their defense on his line, and they persevered. They 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 managed to find the back of the net. Um, his line mates uh, were Nicholas Mueller and Nando Eggenberger. Mueller and Eggenberger are both undrafted players. Uh, this should help their their draft stock. What do you think? Let's talk about that whole line. How how'd you like their line? Well, Kurashev's a guy that. I put out a poll before the tournament. I'm like, what do you guys think Kurevshev's ability will be at the tournament? What, what's his ceiling points-wise? A lot of people said, like, three points. I'm like, you know what? He played pretty good at last year's tournament. And, you know, yeah, he only had three points then. But it's like, this is a guy that last year was generating a lot of scoring chances. And that's what he's done every time he's played for Switzerland. And then he goes out there and gets six goals and seven points. And, and at one point, he had four goals in a row for the Swiss over two games. And he was, again, he's been the best player in a lot of tournaments for the Swiss. And I think that was very exciting to see him play as well as he did. And uh, when you go to Eggenberger, that's a guy that I was kind of surprised was not drafted last year. And uh, was kind of a late guy that you know, we're looking maybe sixth round, seventh round, and then just didn't get picks. But I think for sure now he's definitely a, like a mid third, early fourth round pick option. He's playing well with Shawinigan and uh, isn't putting up the points you'd expect, but he's also not playing as big of a role as I think he's capable of. And um, again, like that's another guy that I think is really good. Uh, Valentin, uh, Valentin uh, Nussbaumer, uh, one of my favorite prospects for this year's draft. And, you know, I thought with the three points, he could have put up a bit more, but again, he's a draft eligible prospect. And um, again, like that's a team that had a lot of depth. Like they, yeah, they had a lot of goals from Kurashev, who honestly I won. For most of that tournament, I thought could have put his name in for the tournament MVP. He was that good. But, um, you know, their defense looked good. Their goaltending was solid. And the fact that those two guys can come back again next year is huge for that team. So that's a team that got, had a lot of depth. And these guys play together a lot. So they know each other. And they the Swiss really like to bring a young team each year. So a lot of these guys are going to be able to play again next year, which is kind of scary considering how good they actually played. Yeah, we were just chit-chatting before I hit the record button and talked about Switzerland a little bit. And my thought was, this is a team on on the cup. They just keep getting a little bit better every year. They're a slow and and steady and gradual ascension up the international ranks. Now, I'm not saying that they're that they're there. They're certainly not in the conversation with Canada, Russia, United States, Sweden, and Finland. But I would put just below that next tier teams like Czech Republic and Slovakia. It's hard not to argue that they're that they're not kind of there already. They don't have a lot of sustained and history success that Slovakia, Czech, and the Czech Czechoslovakia have had internationally. I mean, you got to win a medal or two and some tournaments here along the way. But um, man, they they're they're like right there, aren't? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, like they've got a lot of really good prospects coming over, uh, coming up in the next couple of years. And I think the big question next is, will Theo Rochette play for for Switzerland? Because he played for Team Canada at the under-17s and was pretty good. And, you know, it could be a threat to make the under-18 team this year. Actually, I'd say it's a great chance of that happening. But I think the Swiss will really want him to go play for them long term because he's a guy that reminds me a lot of Timo Meyer and Let's not forget, Timo Meyer is almost a point per game this year in 40 games with the San Jose Sharks. So, um, you know, I think Rashad could be a, a definite 
50 60 point guy someday so um if they can convince him to play for the swiss um in the next couple of years of the juniors watch out everybody because he's going to put up a lot of points and he's still pretty young and uh they've got a couple other good defensemen but this is a team that year after year it's always been look how good their defense is and their defense was good this year but i think that the fact that they're developing much better up front now in the forwards that's a really good sign and yeah like, you know what they're, they're still kind of inconsistent at times and they kind of struggle at the under 18s and they've not played well at the world junior a challenge and you never really know fully what to expect but when you get their best talent together, because again, Kishé could have played this year. If you get their best talent together each year, they're a really tough team to beat, especially at the rate that they're producing offense now. Yeah, there you go, DPR listeners. There's a name for you, Theo Rochette. All right, so let's move on from Switzerland. Um, last team in Group A we need to talk about is uh, Czech Republic. Uh, the most interesting storyline I thought that came out from the Czechs was their decision to play Lucas Dostal in four games over Jakob Skarik. Uh, Skarik has the, in my my opinion, uh, the the larger pedigree. However, Dostal played pretty well. 1.25 goals against average, 9.57 save percentage. Skarik, uh, th- one game, three goals against. Uh, were you surprised by that? And in hindsight, does it make sense? Yeah, there, there's got to be a lot more to it that we don't know because that's a guy that, like, Skarik, you know, like last year played very good and I honestly thought he could have been one of the best goalies in this tournament. And then for him to not even, I don't believe he actually played a full game. And uh, I think he came in just for a little bit of action. And it's like people were wondering if maybe he got hurt and they just kind of weren't disclosing it because uh, he was the third goalie for a few games. And then midway through, he was the backup guy. So that was just a weird situation. But at the same time, Lucas Dahl still played really good. You know, he's an Anaheim Ducks prospect. And um, there's, a lot to like out of him because that's a team that really struggled to score and kind of really fell below what people thought they could have done. And uh, when some of their key forwards didn't even score a goal in this tournament. And uh, again, I thought Dostal played as good as he possibly could, but uh, Skerek's a guy that, uh, you know, again, a little surprised about that one. I'm not totally sure what that situation was. Everyone seemed kind of confused, but uh, he's 19. That was his last chance. And which is funny because that would have been his third tournament as a starting goalie for the Czechs. And he ended up playing the least amount he's played out of any of the tournaments. So again, who knows? That's just odd. Yeah. Well, an injury would, would kind of explain a lot of that. Uh, The Czechs really had a hard time scoring. So it's, it's really difficult to find players to, shine a spotlight on Martin Kaut and Martin Nechash uh, led the team in scoring with four points each. Uh, I think a larger conversation can be had around Philip Zadina and his zero goals and one point in five games. I barely noticed him in the Czech games that I watched. Uh, that was really surprising. Here's a player who going into the tournament, I would have said had uh, good odds to lead the tournament in points by the end of it and really was the exact opposite can what are your thoughts on that can you explain that he was injured in an a uh, ahl game leading up to the tournament which i think kind of in hindsight could explain why he wasn't as good because when you look at him last year he had seven goals and eight points like he would you could not stop him this right. year he didn't score once and got one assist and he's playing pretty well in ahl so it's not like he he's coming off of a really slow year and just had a bad tournament it's just like no he, he's having a good year had a great tournament last year had a fantastic season last year i thought he definitely shouldn't have fallen as far as he did in the draft a six overall 
And all of a sudden, you know, like, yeah, he got one point. And, and you know what? Like, again, like you're saying, the team really struggled to score. Uh, Martin Echaz had one one goal. That's all he had. Uh, Condalik, who I thought was uh, definitely one of the better forwards heading into the tournament, he had one goal. Jacob Blocko had one goal. Yan Yannick, he got injured before the tournament, but he came back, played three games, didn't score once. Yan Kern didn't score. Matei Picard didn't score. So, like, those are a bunch of really good players with yeah. definite NHL potential who did not score for the team. Only That's Martin Kemp scored more than once. Yeah, and yeah, and he had three goals, and like it's expected that he was going to play well, but four points for a guy playing in the AHL, like that's not great. The fact that when you look at the tournament and you say, okay, uh, Zadina, Nechaz, and Kout, that could be one of the best lines we've seen in World Junior like recent history, and they produced nothing. They they scored four goals between them and didn't even play together for a lot of that tournament. So, yeah, you know that just is a team that just flat out disappointed, especially after the. Uh, we couple weeks earlier, we saw the checks kind of show so much chemistry and so much potential at the World Junior A Challenge, and then to see the World Junior team fall flat when in a year where a lot of fans were convinced this was a year that could have been huge for the team because this is a stronger team than it was last year, and they just they could not get anything going. And I think that that loss to Canada, the five on loss, was pretty telling because they just could not recover after that. Yeah, I, I said it earlier. You can help your your value, but not hurt it by playing in the World Juniors. And Philip Zidina really helped his his value at last year's World Juniors. This year, he had the exact opposite kind of result. Um, if I'm a fantasy owner of Philip Zidina, I'm I'm not hitting the panic button at all. I'm just kind of you know shrugging my shoulders, saying eh, it's it's a five game stretch, no big thing. Uh, you look at his overall body of work, and you let that tell you where the needle is on his value and if you own him and or if someone in your league owns him is like oh philip zanina you really crap the bet at the world juniors who wants him in a trade get on it <laughs> be all over that because uh that would be a, a buy low opportunity okay so let's move on to uh group b and um let's start with kazakhstan because there's a player there that i've never heard of and near the end of the tournament, I looked at the scoring leaders, and lo and behold, there's this guy, Arthur Gadiatov. And who the heck is this kid? And why isn't <laughs> why isn't he drafted? Yeah, like when, when you look at it, the fact that uh, Denmark played their best hockey, or sorry, Kazakhstan played their best hockey against Denmark, but at the same time, like I don't know, you could have thrown me on Denmark, and maybe I would have scored. But uh, they they only had three goals. Uh, when you have look at Kazakhstan, like that's a team that you know a lot of people kind of underrated. I definitely did not give them as much credit as they probably deserved because I looked at their team and said, you know what, this this is a, could have been one of the worst relic or promoted teams in a long time, and they stayed up. And a lot of it was because of uh, Gadiadov, and he's a guy that's actually playing really well in the MHL. He's been one of the better players overall in that league. Um, for uh, Barcia Astana, which actually featured almost the entire Kazakhstan World Junior team. And for him, he's a really good playmaker, but I think this was his best offensive tournament. Like, when you look at the fact that uh, in the two seasons prior to this, he had 41 assists, 22 goals, and then 30 goal, uh, thirty assists and 15 goals. This is a guy that gets more assists, but he scored five goals and was consistently one of the most noticeable players even against a stronger competition like against the united states he looked like a really good player you know what it's it's a tournament like this it's always tough to really judge what the smaller teams are capable of because um you look at like 
in the past, we see uh, I'm drawing a blank on the goalie. Dennis Godla played really good for Slovakia, the World Juniors. But at the same time, since then, he hasn't really proven that that wasn't just a fluke until the Spangler Cup and he played lights out again uh, and was robbed of the top goalie award. But um, yeah, but Gadiadov, he he's a really good skater. He's he's quite small. He's only listed 130 pounds, but that does not seem correct. He's five foot seven. But uh, yeah, he just he was flew on that ice. He could shoot. He could definitely make plays and was probably one of the best two way guys, which really did matter because Kazakhstan's defense was kind of their biggest concern right there. All right, so he's 19 years old right now. His birthday, November 17th, so he's a late birthday. Um, been passed over in the draft uh, once. Last year was his first go-around at the draft and wasn't drafted. Do you, After this performance at the World Juniors, I think he's got a lot of scouts raising their eyebrows, maybe taking a second look at him. Uh, to your point, he's playing in the MHL this season. He's a point-of-game player there. Um what do you think his odds are getting getting a sixth or seventh round pick this coming you know draft? On Kazakhstan, he's not the guy that I think would get drafted. I think if anyone's going to have a chance, it is Valery Orakov. And I know I know there's a couple guys on the team that scouts actually went into the tournament um, very interested in. Uh, a couple guys that kind of really didn't play well. Maxim Morosov was kind of like the big, like, this guy actually has a legitimate chance of being like a sixth or seventh round pick, and he didn't get a single point in the tournament. But, uh, you know, getting off, again, like, you always got to take these tournaments kind of with a grain of salt, especially when he did get a couple points against Denmark, a team that only had three goals all tournament. Um, it's definitely worth a look, but I think this is more of a guy that you, you invite him to an NHL training camp and see what he could do there and maybe not worry about a draft pick there. But I do like what I saw out of Valery Orikov. He's a guy who had five points on defense, and he's actually played a pretty big role with Barisistana in the KHL. He, I believe he was a second-pairing defenseman, uh, which is a big deal for a 19-year-old playing on a team that um, essentially kind of just gets a lot of shots against each game, but he, he's been playing really well. And I think he was one of the better players in the tournament. And I didn't get to see any of the pre-tournament games, but if we're talking to people that, uh, um, in a couple of the games he played against the, um, the, the junior teams out there in BC, everyone kept saying Orkov was the best player. So I'd honestly wouldn't be shocked if he's thrown a pick because an offensive defenseman that can hit and already has pro experience. That's, that's a pretty good, uh, option late in the draft. Not bad. All right, that's enough uh, lip service for Kazakhstan. Let's move on. Slovakia. Uh, so not a lot of players here that, are, that I really want to touch on either, but uh, one player is a free agent that uh, I think some fantasy hockey listeners might want to hear a little bit about is Adam Liska. He had a point a game uh, in, so five points in five games in the tournament. How'd you like his game? He was, because Slovakia, this was a team that a lot of people kind of, well, a lot of Slovakian fans were saying, like, this is the best team since the bronze medal team and probably the last good team for a few years. And, you know, I think he was definitely, you you, you can't argue how good of a tournament he played. He had five points in five games and uh, was one of the most consistent players, even defensively. I really liked what I saw out of him. Uh, he has obvious experience in the OHL. He played pretty just okay with the Kitchener Rangers. But at the same time, I kind of, as a tournament wore on, I think it was kind of clear. It's like the guys that are playing pro hockey right now were the better players in that tournament. And uh, we, we seeing Liska, he's actually played really well with uh, HG Slova and Bratislava. You know, he only has seven points in 38 games, but that's a team that again is getting crushed on a, like, like 
their defense not doing a good job and he's getting a lot of opportunities as a young player but I think this is a guy that you really got to keep an eye out for sure and you know he's undrafted and that's I think could change this year um, this is a guy that the last couple of years there was definitely a little bit of consideration I know I think the NHL Central Scouting had him as 158th um, last year so this is a guy that has been some scouts have definitely watched before. I've seen him, and that was a good tournament because Slovakia was not really up to the challenge. You know, he only had had a pretty mediocre World Junior last year. I think to, this year was more telling that he could be a pretty good playmaker as maybe a depth forward someday in the NHL. All right, yeah, I agree. Uh, another player that kind of stood out to me, not so much on the stat sheet, but just from from watching him play in the games, I, I thought he was an impact player. Only managed. To to score two points, both assists. Uh, and he's a player that I didn't really know much about because I don't watch a lot of USHL hockey, and that is uh, Martin Pospisil. He's a Sioux City Musketeers forward, and he's committed to St. Lawrence University in the NCAA next year, so he's already got two years in North America, and he's committed to play NCAA next year. He's a Calgary Flames 2018 fourth-round pick, um, I'm intrigued by this prospect. Uh, what do you know about uh, Martin Pospisil? Yeah, I've seen him play a, a couple times in the past. Uh, you know, this was his first World Juniors, but he did play at the under-18s a couple years ago and was kind of just not really there, just more of a four-flanner guy on a team that just wasn't that good. But this is a, re- like, power forward is the exact word you'd use for him. Last year, you know, he only had 37 points in 49 games, but he led the entire league in penalty minutes of 253. And this year, he's got 64 penalty minutes. But he's also really upped his offensive game. It, it will probably only take him two or three more games back with the Musketeers for him to beat out his totals from last year, which was 37. He's at 34 right now. Yeah, he only had two points, but I think we kind of saw him as a as a really good passer. Uh, he's got good good speed for a guy that basically f- focuses on throwing hits. But again, he wasn't like afraid to get in the dirty battles. You can use him as an energy guy. Like I don't think his his future pro NHL production is that huge. But the fact that he's going to be going to St. Lawrence University as a as a 19-year-old that turns 20 early into the season next year will be interesting because he'll be one of the older freshmen, and I think he's he's played in big tournaments. He's played in big events, so he's got that little bit of experience. He's definitely a project guy for the Calgary Flames, but um, it's clear that Calgary really likes drafting um, from Slovakia because they only have four NHL prospects and three uh, the Slovakia only had three NHL drafted prospects, and three of them are from Calgary. So they're definitely yeah. kind of seeing something. But uh, I think Pospisil, you know, he was a guy that you could throw in in a grindy role, but can also score. And uh, I think that's definitely going to intrigue them. Is you know what? Maybe he's in the NHL in five years, but the fact that uh, he's an older guy going to the NCAA could be kind of a you know this could be a project guy for them. Love players like that, especially with the league that I'm in. You know, it's a it's a really really deep league and we've got multiple stat categories so in your bangers and mash leagues where you got hits and penalty minutes and block shots and shots and all that he's a good player i think he's going to be a, a good player in those type leagues he's going to have to compete with itu tolola to make the calgary flames because it sounds like they're a very similar type of player um okay so let's talk a little bit about sweden now they had a disappointing tournament as well they lacked some of the household names on their forward roster. 
uh, let's see, one, two, three, four of the top five players on their team scoring were the defensemen. Uh, the number one was Emil Bemstrom, though. He had six points, uh, four goals, two assists. He's a uh, Columbus Blue Jackets prospect. He also had 20 penalty minutes in the tournament, which led Sweden by far. Uh, let's talk a little bit about his game. Uh, what do you think from from watching Sweden about Emil Bemstrom? This was a Swedish team that I was not convinced heading into the tournament. And you know what? They, they kind of showed uh, that uh, nothing's really changed over the last decade with their only they, – they continue to win all the time, but uh, can't really do much with it. Bemstrom was a guy that, you know, like I've, he, he kind of was on Sweden's radar, but hasn't really played any major events. He did play at the under 18s a couple years ago, but was just kind of okay and played the, the Kalinka Gretzky and again, just okay. But I think last year with the way he played on the under 19 team alone kind of really made him a serious contender for this team. And he's had a very good season uh, with Jurgens and the, uh, I know I screwed that name up in the uh, uh, Swedish league. Getting uh, got 17 points in 24 games, but um, he's kind of showing that he can shoot the puck. No kidding. He had four goals, uh, six points, and uh, he's a very aggressive player. It doesn't show that. I think in uh, in the SHL, he only has two penalties this year. But and there was a misconduct in this World Junior tournament, which is why he has the 20 penalty minutes. But again, right. he's not willing to to throw a. He's willing to throw a big hit. He's willing to get aggressive and scored there's a lot of strength to his game like just pure power and uh you know again that's a, a more of a project guy there um columbus used a fourth round pick him a couple of years ago and i still think you know another year or two in the swedish hockey league would be great for him but the fact that he's one of the best rookies in a strong men's league is a big deal and something really worth watching he played really well at the champions hockey league he had three points in six games so this guy can score and he's elevated his game significantly this year because last year in Allsvenskan, he, he played good, but considering that's one level lower than where he's playing now, and he's already outperformed what he did last year in a lot less games this season in a higher level, I think kind of says a lot about his game. This is a guy that you're really going to notice a lot in the future. Not the, not the, he's again, he's kind of like the slow riser, but I think he can end up being like, a, if we were to redo that draft, he could have ended up being an early second round type prospect, I think. It's funny how some players do better the further up the depth chart they go in, in like leagues. You know, they play good in junior, then they play better in the AHL, and then they play great in the NHL. And I, I talked to a player about that. I can't remember which one it was, but um, and I asked him about that. I said, you're doing better playing pro hockey than you did playing junior. Like, can you explain that? And he said, well, in one sense, you'd think it'd be difficult because the competition is better. He goes, but at the same, at the same time, your teammates are better too, right? And players are, are just smarter and you can predict where your teammates are going to be. And uh, so I think smarter players excel at higher levels. Uh, and in a junior player, you got players who, who just don't really get it quite as much yet. And they're a little bit unpredictable. And, and that makes it difficult for the players who think the game at a higher level to bring themselves back down to the junior levels. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, you say, you say that, and I know you've obviously seen Kingston play, and um, I watched uh, Connor McGlynn play with the Oakville Blades, and then watching him go to the OHL, and he looked like a much better player there. And yeah, he was surrounded by better players, but it's like he, he was a good player in Oakville, but a much better player overall and seemed to just improve his game a lot um, when he moved up. And like, that just seems to be a thing that happens. And uh, that part of that is just given different opportunities and different coaches too. Yeah. 
All right, two teams left, uh, and a lot of players off both these teams that I could talk about. So let's skip gears and go to the United States. Uh, so Ryan Paling won MVP of the tournament, so I guess we kind of have to talk about him. Montreal Canadiens prospect, 8.7 games. I thought he was a force to be reckoned with and kind of maybe stole a little bit of the spotlight from Jack Hughes. Everyone was waiting to talk about Jack Hughes and Jack Hughes and Jack Hughes and Jack Hughes, and, Jack Hughes and Ryan Paling was their top forward, in my opinion. Uh, did you see it that way, too? It, you know what? I was mostly impressed with Joel Farabee. I thought he was the guy that really kind of caught my attention, which is weird because I follow the Habs. But, uh, yeah, Paling definitely had an f- incredible tournament. I know a lot of Habs fans were really hard on him um, early on in the tournament, thinking, like, wow, he's not that great. You know, he, he needs to pick up his game. And then he picks or plays the, perhaps the best period of hockey I've ever seen at the World Junior Hockey Championships when he scored a hat-trick against Sweden, a natural hat-trick late in the game. That was incredible. Uh, but outside of that game, you know, he had two goals, he had another three assists, and he was a really good, like, the fact that he scored more goals is one thing, but that guy could set up a puck out of nowhere. He seems to just create plays like it's like it's nothing for him. And, uh, yeah, he's a guy, you know, eight points, definitely was one of the better players in the tournament, uh, tied for third in scoring and uh the fact that he's a big centerman is a kind of an interesting thing for the canadians because they seem to never draft players like that but at the same time when you mentioned jack hughes obviously everyone wants to see what he's capable of and uh, i got to interview his uh sports performance coach before a tournament who says he's worked with guys like Connor mcdavid and and um, I'm trying to remember a couple of guys out, Phil Castle, a couple of other like really NHL stars, but says that like when he watches Jack Hughes, that guy just works harder than anybody else he's ever seen. And I think that he's a guy who just generates so much scoring. He's hard on himself if he makes a mistake, but doesn't take himself out of the play and doesn't make like doesn't kind of like, yeah, he, if he makes a bad play, he'll be upset with himself and it'll be visible, but he won't let that get to him. And he'll, he'll use it as motivation to continue getting better. I thought Hughes was fantastic for a draft eligible player. He definitely was one of the better players out there. Um, but again, it's kind of disappointing that that will likely be the only time we see him at the World Juniors. And it resulted in him missing a lot of the games due to being sick or injured or whatever it really was. I really don't think it was that serious. I just think, you know what, they were, they didn't need to play him at that point, but Hughes is going to be one heck of a player. And I still think he's better than Capo Caco, no matter what anyone else says. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of disappointed. We didn't get to see what he was really capable of because he's really good with Joel Farabee and Oliver Wallstrom, two guys who played really well in the tournament. And we just didn't get to see them kind of at full potential as the the trio that kind of dominated the uh, U.S. national development team last year. Yeah, next year would would be the year for that. Uh, I think you're right. I think he's going to be busy scoring in the NHL. Um, Another player that's uh, got a lot of of fans really tooting his horn. Uh, Maybe it's because it was held in Vancouver and there's a lot of Canucks fans had eyes on the game. But uh, Tyler Madden didn't look so bad. Four points, three goals, one assist. Uh, and I thought he not only influenced and impacted the game offensively, but I thought he generated a lot of offense that that just didn't convert onto the score sheet. I thought his speed was a force to be reckoned with, and just his his overall game. Uh, he's a player that I think you can move up and down your roster, and you can get like maximum bang for your buck, no matter what role you put him in. That has a lot of fantasy value as a prospect because it, it really ensures his his role in the NHL might not be on the first line 
Um, might be in a, in a bottom six role, but I mean, it's the kind of player that a coach is just going to not hesitate to give minutes to. Um, I, I, that's what I saw from Matt, and I, I was really impressed. What do you think? Yeah, the, I got to watch him first at the World Junior A Challenge last year, and he was consistently USA's best player. Even when he wasn't scoring, you could put him in any situation. He played power play. He played penalty kill. He played center. He played wing. It was like anything that they needed, he was able to do. And uh, I think we also got to see his shot on display and kind of seeing what he's really capable of offensively. And again, you could kind of throw him in any position. The guy that he's really, like, every time I watch him, he just reminds me a lot of Ryan Callahan as a guy who could put up some decent numbers, not going to be your best forward, but you're going to be really impressed with his two-way play. He's a very good power forward. Again, you could throw him in a scoring situation. You, you won't be afraid to play him late in the game because he will be the fastest guy on the ice, He'll be the most aggressive guy on the ice. He's a much better player than his dad, in my opinion. Of course, it's still early. He's still a junior hockey player. But uh, I, I think that Vancouver got a gem in him. He's a guy that a lot of people weren't talking about, really, before the World Junior A Challenge last year. And again, that's a great term, and I love that tournament. And I think we got to see kind of what Madden's capable of. Because, again, this is a guy who hasn't always been playing the highest level of hockey, but goes out there and just plays unbelievable and out of his mind. So he's a guy that Canucks fans are going to be really excited about. I know... The excitement heading into the tournament was all Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes. Tyler Madden, I think, kind of stole the minds of a lot of Canucks fans. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I don't think he has anywhere close to the um, fantasy offensive upside as Jack Hughes, but I think his NHL certainty needle certainly moved uh, in the upwards direction. Another player, I think, helped his uh, NHL certainty needle move up was Caden Primo. He's a Montreal Canadiens draft pick. I think they got a bit of a steal with this kid. He's been kind of lights out good in the NCAA and took over the starting job in net for the Americans. 161 goals against average. Uh, I thought he's he's showing that he can be a big game goalie. And there's a lot of big games played in the NHL. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, him being a Habs prospect, it's always question Will he actually ever play for Montreal? Is this going to be Carey Price's net for a long time? But considering how many years in a row it seems that uh, Carey Price gets hurt, you really, truly never know at this point. But uh, I think it's time for me also to give credit to Caden Primo because every time I've watched him, or I'm just like, I'm so impressed with him, but I kind of don't give him enough credit for what he's worth. I still think, again, bring, going back to the World Junior A Challenge, uh, back in 2016, he put on one of the best goalie performances I think we've ever seen. He had a 0.75 goals against average and 0.966 save percentage in just four games. Like, that's that's unreal. Like, th his stats were fantastic, but he continued to steal games in that tournament. And as good as the Americans were, it still seemed like Canada East was the team to beat. And he kind of just stole the spotlight and won the tournament for the Americans. And he goes into this tournament. You know, he's playing well in the NCAA. Goaltending was a big concern for that team, I think, going forward because it was like no real star guy that we've seen in the past for the Americans, like uh, guys like John Gibson or Thatcho Demko. And we're going to definitely see Spencer Knight kind of emerge as a really big player. But in terms of the goaltending, uh, yeah, Kane Primo had a couple moments where it's like he could have had those goals back and he has a tendency to allow some weak goals. But when he's on top of his game, Again, he can steal games. He can keep his team in games. Because, you know, a lot of the, the storylines in that gold medal game was, wow, Uko Pekka Lukin is playing fantastic. But I think Caden Primo was the better goalie in that game. 
And the fact that he played so well against a really strong Finnish team when it mattered the most on the big stage. Again, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's obviously, you know, he's been surrounded by hockey in his whole life. So he knows what it, he, he knows what the pressure is like. And I think he played as good as you could have expected. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm a fan. Uh, okay, last but not least, gold medal, Finland. Uh, congratulations, Finland. Um, you guys either win gold or flame out hard. And this year you won gold. Uh, the player for Finland that I kind of became endeared with is Arni Talviti. Tal- yeah, that's a guy. Yeah, uh, that's who knows how to really I, say I, his I, name. I got to figure that out if I'm going to be a fan. Yeah, and, and for sure, he was a guy that uh, heading into the summer tournament, I actually really wasn't that impressed with him in the, the World Junior Summer Showcase. I'm like, okay, he's a good player, but how how good is he really? And I think, yeah, and he, he had a point in pretty much every game and was playing in the final with what looked like uh, basically a decapitated leg or I guess say amputated leg because he was just hobbling around after an early injury. But uh, yeah, you know, guy who goes out there and gets seven points, four goals in seven games, like that's really impressive. Um, he was a guy that, it just whenever they needed goals, he was playing well. He scored a couple against Switzerland and a game that the Swiss kind of just totally fell asleep in. And um, yeah, when you look at the fact that that team had a lot of depth, because I actually at one point had Finland come in sixth place in the tournament. And then all of a sudden they got all these NHL players. And it's like, okay, well, this could change everything for the team. And you know what? They didn't exactly need Eli Tolvin and to get a lot of points to do as well as they did. And uh, Finland goes out there and wins. So obviously next year they're going to play in the relegation round. That's just due for the course. Um, but uh, Finland just, again, like you said, they'll win one year and then just barely even stay in the tournament the next season. They just have a good tendency in that. But yeah, I, I thought he was definitely a very fun player to watch. Very feisty. Again, he played a very physical game and he took a lot of beatings and uh, you couldn't ask for more out of him. Yep. All right. So, Alexi Hapanyomi, uh, Henry Yokiharu, Rasmus Kapari, their drafted players played really well. Uh, and they have to in order for them to win, and, and they did. And then they have some other players who are draft eligible that I thought played really well too. And Capocacco comes to top of the mind on that list with five points in seven games. But uh, Anton Lundell, who's not draft eligible till 2020, also had four points in the tournament. And I really liked both these kids' games. They're players that should be able to return for them. Uh, Lundell, for sure, next year. Maybe Kako if he doesn't make the NHL. What do you think about these guys' game? Well, this is a team that had some NHL players like looking like uh, the couple of defensemen. And, uh, of course, there's Tolvan and... And then you look at guys like Lundell, Kako, and a couple of the defensemen that were undrafted. They really were the story of this team because, um, you know what, like the fact that their biggest star prospect in Tolvan and didn't actually score a goal in this tournament was kind of telling. But uh, when you look at Lundell, like I wasn't totally surprised, especially when you look at the fact that he had six points in the under-18s last year. And um, Again, as a guy who could still play at this tournament one more time. And the fact that he is a 2020 prospect is a little misleading because he is a 2001-born player. Um, But, you know what, like... Yeah, and that gives them a lot of advantage going to the next year. And we've seen the last couple of years where kind of late birthday players seem to be kind of really good and get drafted early. But, you know, he's got 10 points in 20 games uh, in, in the league of this year. He's playing a fantastic. He had over a point per game in the, the under-20 league there. And, 
he was a guy that one of the best playmakers. So um, I'm really excited because the 2020 draft could be one of my favorite drafts pretty much of all time. And he's another name that could get drafted very early in that tournament. Of course, there's still a lot of time and he'll be a good player next year. Uh, and the Capo Caco was just whenever they needed a big goal, he was there to either set it up or be involved. He had, and again, he had five points in seven games. He's um, had a great year of TPS and Liga and, he's going to be a star player in the future in the NHL. But um, the fact that, that they got so much scoring out of the young guys is huge because this is a team that's, that had a lot of depth and a lot of the young guys kind of stood up. That's what I like most about Capo Caco. The bigger the stakes in the game, the better he played. You know, like, didn't notice him against some of the lower-rung teams so much, but uh, he was able to make an impact in big games and under pressure and when it mattered. Uh, so I think that that bodes really well for his NHL and, and fantasy value, too. Yeah, Eli Tolvanen, we kind of touched on him a couple times throughout our conversation here. Four assists, not a single goal. I wouldn't say he had a bad tournament. Um, I'm just not sure why he wasn't able to uh, fill the net. This I mean, this time last year, him and Elias Pedersen were kind of all the talk of the prospect players because these are two guys that were playing pro hockey uh and lighting up the score sheet and creating all kinds of buzz and winning you know player of the week player of the month awards on a regular basis in their leagues yeah, fast forward to now and elias Pettersson is doing the same thing but with the vancouver canucks in the nhl and he looks like a, a slam dunk to win the calder trophy and he's playing his way into the conversation with names like mcdavid and matthews and crosby and Eli Tolvin is not going going 0 for at the World Juniors and can't crack the NHL, struggling in in the AHL. So, uh, are we are we starting to think bust with him? No, not at all. Uh, the fact that he was uh, one of the best players at the Olympics, which again, no NHL players, but still had a lot of talent, and he was leading that Finnish team and looked great every time he played for the men's uh, team last year. There's nothing to worry about in his game. It's still pretty early, and um, they he he's got so much natural skill. You know, this there is an adjustment period. Yes, he played in North America already in the USHL, but he played in Yokerit and the KHL. And the one thing that um, people kind of noticed about his game last year was he was a he went everywhere on the ice, and he had a lot more room to play with. And all of a sudden, he's kind of had to adjust his game a bit this year. And uh, you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily played bad anywhere he has been. It's just not he kind of just plays well in spurts and just needs to gain a bit more consistency. But again, he's still young. Um, I don't know how mentally he was there at the World Juniors, but I think he played better as the tournament went on. And you saw him kind of being the driving force for the game-tying goal against Canada in the the quarterfinals game. And the fact that everyone thought he scored, but he kind of just back, banked it off Hepo Niemi, and Hepo Niemi didn't even notice that. But, like, we saw Tolvin, and again, he could just control a play. When he's at his best, he's extremely tough to beat. It's just we're not seeing the season out of him this year that we saw last year. Maybe it's because he has bounced around a little bit this year. Maybe when he gets to stick in one spot, maybe to say, you know what, rest of the year, you're in the AHL and that's where you're going to stay. I think that's where we're going to see where he can really become a good player and then next year go to the NHL. Because as good of a year as he was having the KHL last year, I still think it was a mistake kind of moving him around a bit like he has this season. So give him a bit of time. Again, still young. I, I rated him as last year as the best player to play international hockey last year. And there were some pretty good players that he had to compete against like Pedersen and Kovalchuk and guys like that. So I still have a lot of hope for him. 
still young. I like a lot of what he does. So uh, I just say give him another two years before we kind of throw the B word out there. Right. Excellent. I totally agree. Uh, I'm really glad you say that. Kind of the same thing as what I said about Sedina. This is just one small tournament. I mean, like to your point, he played on like six different international teams for Finland last year and Nashville and Jokerit. Uh, and then this year he's played with Nashville, Milwaukee, and now the World Juniors. Um, so yeah, he's 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 getting around town. He's playing for anyone that'll put a jersey on him. It seems. <laughs> uh, but you look at it, some of the some of the results. You know, thirty six points in the KHL last year as a rookie, as an eighteen year old rookie, nine points at the Olympics. Um, yeah, not not so bad. Twelve points in twenty four games at the AHL. Uh, maybe he doesn't have the same kind of ceiling that Elias Patterson is, is showing with Vancouver right now, but um, still pretty, still pretty damn good. Is there any players that we didn't talk about out of this very long conversation about the World Juniors that uh, you feel is um, is must get some lip service here? Uh, well, the one guy that you know going into the tournament, a lot of people were saying who's going to be Team Canada's goalie? And I think Michael DiPietro did exactly what he needed to do. He, he, If Team Canada made it to the finals, I think he was a serious contender for top goalie award. And it's hard to choose between a guy like Ian Scott, who's dominating the CHL, a gr- great league involving three different leagues. And um, the fact that, you know, yes, of course, Ian Scott's numbers are great this year, but Michael DiPietro was playing on a pretty weak team before he got traded. And now he's on Ottawa team that, look like it's going to be extremely tough to beat that team heading into the, the Memorial cup. And uh, the fact that again, he's on the team now is huge. Um, he played fantastic. He was definitely not at fault in that game against Finland. Like how the, that first goal against with 46 seconds left, how many times is someone going to score that goal? Like it's extremely rare to see that happen at that angle and at that slow of a speed. So it's like, you know what? You can't blame him at all. I thought he had a great tournament, and uh, Canada's had a couple of years of really kind of scary goaltending until Carter Hart came, and then back to back year or three years in a row, they get some fantastic goaltending. So, you know what? I, I thought he was really good, and Luka Pekka Lukanen, I think, should have been the tournament MVP in my personal opinion, but uh, you know, I think he got kind of robbed there. But he kept filling in every single game, and. Uh, the games could have been a little bit different. I think the Americans could have actually came out with a victory last night if he wasn't in net for the Finns. So, uh, yeah, those are two goalies that I really like, and people are definitely going to need to follow going forward, especially if you're a Vancouver Canucks or Buffalo Sabres fan. Yeah, Di Pietro with uh, Ottawa 67s will be making a Memorial Cup bid, and uh, I'm hearing a little bit of rumblings that, you know, because Velarde didn't make the tournament, he's injured, and therefore Los Angeles has said, okay, finish the year. Uh, playing junior he's, he's still not not really skating yet from from what i heard i was asking around at the front next game this weekend um what it does sound like um if he plays one game the front next uh conditional need to give up two more second round picks in like 2025 or in the, the very distant future whenever it is so i guess his play could be limited for the balance of the season um so therefore his return could be limited. I guess Kingston would be looking at at least recovering what they'll have to get in draft picks if he plays one game in the OHL this season. But Ottawa is a destination that I'm hearing is a distinct possibility for him. So that would make a a really good team even better. Uh, yeah, because Ottawa needs more scoring. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> whatever it is, I hope he I hope he gets traded. 
Uh, and I hope he's able to to play. Uh, but more importantly than that, uh, I've had a bad back, and it's super debilitating. And when I was at my worst, uh, you know, basically laid out on the couch 24-7, I watched a lot of hockey. And um, just the thought of taking a body check against the boards was excruciating. And I hope that he's able to get back not only to hockey, but to to having a quality of life because bad backs are, are absolutely no fun. So all, all the best uh, looking forward for Gabe Velarde. Good old Kingston boy, eh? <laughs> yep. All right. Stephen Ellis, everyone. Steve, thanks very much for coming on and having a rather lengthy. I think this is the record for longest interview in the DPR show history. Uh, this might be almost an entire episode. I don't know if I'll have time to talk about anything else. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was a real blast chatting world juniors with you and uh, getting your take on on a lot of players yeah absolutely it's one of the best times of the year for hockey for sure no doubt about it all right everyone give steve a follow on twitter at steven ellis nhl and uh check out his guides he had one really really super guide for the world juniors um five bucks worth a read pick it up thanks steve yep thank you very much all right we'll see you around man cheers yep yep bye so that was my interview with Stephen Ellis. I hope you enjoyed it and that it wasn't too long and that you found it really insightful as we covered a significant number of prospects from the World Juniors. That wraps up this edition of the DPR Show. Uh, thanks for your time and you can thank me for mine. Today's outro music is another Canadian band, uh, The Sheepdogs. So check these guys out. Hope you like them. Cheers.